welcome to another episode of the Anti-Racist Educator podcast. This is the first in a series of podcasts focusing on the media and how we can understand the media and popular culture to better inform our anti-racism. Um, I really enjoyed this episode with our fellow anti-racist educator collective members talking about two incredible films for the past 20 years of focus on the British Asian experience. Bend It Like Beckham and East is East. Listen, enjoy, please comment and subscribe. So, my name is Hashem um, and I'll just introduce the other people that we've got with us today. We have got Melina. Hi Melina, how are you? Hi, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Good, yeah. Happy to chat about Asian stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it'd um, yeah, be cool. Um, Sangeeta, hi. Hello, how are you? Good, good. How are you doing today? Yep, I'm good and also very much looking forward to chatting to fellow Asians about Asian stuff. <laughs> I know, it's going to be fun. And Naven, how are you? I'm doing all right, thank you. How are you? Good, yeah. Um, yeah, we've like said hi before we came on and then we've done this like podcast hi. So um, just for the benefit of everyone listening, really. So hope you en- enjoyed that. So we are all part of the Anti-Racist Educator, um, a group of activist educators in Scotland. And we came together to think about these films. First film is Bend Like Beckham. And the second film was East is East. How did you guys all just briefly... Um, give us an idea of like what it was like for you to go back and watch those films again perhaps after a long time or watch them for the first time has anyone got any things that like any feelings that were really prominent for you um i actually like so bend like beckham i've actually lost count of how many times i've watched that film it's definitely up there as like one of my absolute favorites um so I think it was interesting going back and looking at it through a different lens because when I've watched the film in the past it's kind of been like a family favourite comedy film um, that I've always just really enjoyed watching whereas when, when I was watching it this time through the kind of lens of what does this do for anti-racism, what does this do for representation, it was interesting to see like the kind of different things that I picked up on um, and I think as well like I just realised the importance of it um, and I think Ben's Like Beckham especially is a film that was like really it really kind of was the first representation that I remember having um of a British South Asian woman kind of challenging stereotypes um and I actually don't think there's been anything since then that has been so relatable for me personally um so yeah it was really it was actually great to kind of revisit revisit the film um and the same with East is East um another family favorite um and I think when you when you look back on the films like there's certain things like the kind of quips and um, dialogue that you might not have picked up on as much when you were younger but now you're kind of like mm-hmm. you know you understand it on a, on a different level um, and also how, how relevant it is and timely it is to still to this day um, around like kind of identity um, particularly for us um, British South Asian people how you kind of have to merge your both identities which are sometimes so like different um, and you're kind of like really trying to figure out how you can kind of um, fit in aspects of your culture like your heritage to British society, Scottish society so yeah for me it was like it was quite interesting um, to just kind of reflect on on that sort of thing. Wow you've you've covered a lot of ground I think we're gonna we're gonna go in deeper in like all the different things you said. Melina and Naven was there any kind of brief impressions that you had or feelings? For me it was very similar to Sangeeta so I watched it um I watched both of those movies uh like 10 years ago, it, they were family favorites. We had them on DVD, but um, for me, it was quite different as well because um, I watched, I grew up in France and I'm like my, my father's white, my mom's um, brown and Indian. So I watched those films kind of admiring that sort of British Asian culture and wishing that I had it because I, I did grow up in a very isolated um, uh, community. So I was, basically the only brown person um, in my neighborhood. So um, it was interesting watching it now that I live in Scotland where there are more brown people around me. Um, And yeah, that definitely made me think about issues of representation, what it means to have all these different cultures and identities and different homes. Cool, yeah, I I think it would be cool to pick up on that aspect of like these 
very British films almost, how they could be received in a non-British context. Naveen, is there any kind of uh, thoughts you, you were having? Yeah, um, probably, you know, in many ways related to what Sangeeta and, and Melina have said, like, um, on one hand, re-watching them now, um, help me realize how subversive they were. Um, it's, you know, and how many issues they picked up on. Um, you know, like, so like those kind of hybrid identities, but then they were also kind of queer moments and feminist moments. You know, so there's a, like a range of things kind of happening. But I mean, for me personally, so I, I growing up in South Africa, um, again, kind of outside of the UK, and seeing a film like that, uh, it's probably one of the, Bendy like Beckham specifically, and then only later kind of, um, if I, that's the order that, I, that we watched it in, East is East, um, was interesting because for me, kind of growing up in kind of the early days of post-apartheid South Africa, the only time we, that I ever saw kind of a representation of Indian people or, you know, South Asian people was when they were doing kind of very stereotypically Bollywood, South Asian identities. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a kind of trope. Um, and it was quite strange for me specifically because it wasn't quite the South Asian or Indian identity that I did. Um, and, you know, we, we lived a very Western kind of culture and context. And um, it was, you know, there re were representations of this kind of new South Africa, which was very integrated um, and racially integrated. So it was, it, was a, it was definitely a turning point film for me. If you haven't seen the films, or if you're not super familiar, um, I'll go over very quickly what both films are like. If I miss out any important details, please just pick me up. With Ben and Light Beckham, um, for me, there's quotes that come to mind like, eyes down, don't smile, Indian bride never smiles, you're ruining the bloody video. Um, mm -hmm. And that anyone can cook gobi, but who can bend the ball like Beckham. Um, it was in 2002 and it stars Praminder Nagra, um, who went on to be an ER, Kira Knightley. Um, so it was those two, the main two ones. Um, this was her breakout hit and she went to, on to do loads of other films afterwards and became like a big, massive Hollywood star. It revolves around Jess, who's Praminder Nagra, who's longing to play football, but not being allowed by her traditional parents. Um, I think that's the way it's kind of set up. Parents and patriarchy around her, like, um, making it really hard for her to kind of indulge and play in this, like, passion of hers and run about and play football. So she joins a local women's football club in Hounslow after being approached by Jules, who is Kira Knightley. And then once she gets there, she grows a mutual liking for an attractive man coach called Joe, who's played by Jonathan Rhys Myers, um, to the arc of Jules, because Jules likes him also. Um, but also through this, it's not just this um, semi-romance with Joe. She goes on to play football and has to continually battle against her family and various men around who think it's hilarious that she can kick a ball around. She ends up sneaking off to Germany to play a match which I completely forgot about. She went all the way there and pretended she was in like Milton Keynes or somewhere. Great for her. She has to strike bargains with her complicit sister who kind of understands what she's going through and is willing to accommodate that, but to an extent and not quite whole way. Um, and in the end, eventually gets permission to go and play football on a scholarship in the USA with Jules. Um, who also throughout the film has her own struggles being accepted by her family and others for wanting to play football. So that was Bend Like Beckham. Very quick, we'll go in deeper in that. And the next film, East is East. Um, so East is East came out a couple of years before um, Ben Like Beckham. Ben Like Beckham, I'm pretty sure, was just set around the time that it, the film came out, so 2002. I couldn't really sense that it was any time before that. Um, East is East was, uh, it came out in 99, but set in the early 70s. Directed by Damien O'Donnell. East is East, it stars Ompuri, who's famous for doing lots of Bollywood films. Uh, Linda Bassett, who plays the mum. Raji James, Jimmy Mystery, who people might know from other films like The Guru. I'm pretty sure he was in that. In like the mid-2000s. And lots of other stuff. And Archie Punjabi. Um, so 
the characters of the film, we've got George Khan, who's a dad, Ella Khan. They have seven kids. It's ridiculous. Uh, I find it hard to keep up with all the names. Um, so I'll, I'll run them down. It's Nazir, from, from oldest to youngest, Nazir, Abdul, Tarek, Munir, Salim, Mina, Sajid. So seven kids, all living with George and Ella in Salford in the early 70s. George came from Pakistan and it, um, marries Ella and has these kids in Salford, but is kind of pining after home a little bit, um, thinking about the war that's happening in East Pakistan and kind of making little jokes with Ella about bringing over his other wife who is there on the border between India and Pakistan. And the film opens with Nazir, who's the oldest child, running away from his wedding. And it kind of sets the tone for the film in which we see George kind of battling against his wife and his kids who seem to be coming from different viewpoints on life. And George is trying to bring his kids to what he can maybe feel as a more Pakistani way of being, perhaps. Um, we see him try to get his sons married off to kids, um, to kids, to two women from somewhere else in England, um, from a Pakistani background. Um, we see them trying to deal with racism they face in the streets. Um, big thread, thread for the whole film is the violent hand of George and how his kids are scared of him and how Ella has to stand up to him. And in the end, they ultimately managed to defy him. So that's a wee run through. That was um, quite a lot, wasn't it? There's quite a lot to take in in both films. I think for me, one theme that really stuck out and one that I don't know, I think we've all had to deal with throughout our lives is the kind of idea of multiple identities coming together or what people might call culture clash. Um, I think we see it in both films like with Jess and Bennett like Beckham and all the kids in East is East kind of coming up against their parents and competing ways of being. And I think that for me was a big thing and kind of runs through the films a lot. Is that something that kind of resonated with you guys also? Yeah, I was thinking about the different um, ways of being associated to culture. Um, so... I was watching East is East again, it seemed to me like all the oppressive um, ways of being, so forced marriages, um, I guess, yeah, for, forcing your children to follow, to live a certain way, even though they don't, they kind of reject it. Um, and also, I guess, domestic violence and being an abusive father. Those things were, as you actually you wrote a piece about this, Hashim, on the anti-racist educator. We should put that on the post. On I've the completely forgot to mention that. I've, I've already written about one of these yeah. films. God, but, but yes, please. In that blog post, you do point out that all the negative aspects of uh, being all the oppressive practices are kind of implicitly associated to Muslim Pakistani identity. Um, what I really appreciated about Vendit uh, like Beckham is that actually um, Gurinder does a great job of pointing out that those oppressive practices and beliefs exist in different cultures. It's not just Sikh Indian um, beliefs that um, are against um, LGBT people, for example. So you see uh, Jules, the white, uh, Jules, the white best friend, um, her mother thinks that uh, she's gay and she starts panicking. Oh no, my daughter can't be lesbian. That's like the end of the world. Um, you see her mother as well, um, sort of shaming her daughter for having smaller breasts. And you see that as well with um, Jess who faces the same issue with her mother. Um, so I really appreciate the way that Gurinda made a, she made a yeah, strong point of pointing out that um, these oppressive beliefs are actually not inherent to a certain culture, but they're more um, issues with systems of power and dominance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like the patriarchy cut across both cultures. It wasn't just in the brown one, yep. was it? Yeah, I, I think like, yeah, the thing about East is East, I wrote in the piece basically what you just said, Melina, that um, I remember going to see the stage version of it, like in Glasgow, um, maybe about five or six years ago. And I was just kind of like 
struck by how all of the jokes made all of the vastly white audience laugh. Mm. It's, it's basically every time George makes a like a stereotypical Pakistani like comment or a backwards point of point of view and stuff. It, it was like hilarious for a lot of people there, but me, my mum, and my sister were kind of like, "This it is it, it, not that funny." I think. Whereas there's lots of other things happening in that film which are really interesting for me and probably for a lot of you, but that was kind of thing that. I don't know, um, makes me feel a wee bit uneasy. But having watched that again, there were lots of other themes that came out that made it a bit, maybe a bit more nuanced. Yeah, um, Naven and Sangeeta, did you guys have any thought about culture clash and like where that was for you and your thinking? Yeah, um, I think um, like, uh, so growing up in Glasgow um, and you know, the past 25 years it's it's tough when you're in a predominantly white space all the time um and glasgow is a very white city so there was a lot of kind of different things that i felt like you could really relate to when it came to jess's experience of you know having to explain to her white friends why things are the way they are um so like um there's a point where she has to kind of explain to jules her friend like why she can't play football and why she can't join the team and the fact that she has to lie about it and go behind her parents' back. Um, and there's that kind of like questioning on behalf of Jules and like, why, why would your parents not let you play football? Like it's kind of like almost a real, real surprise to her. Um, so I suppose like that was really relatable because there were there's so many times like growing up where, you know, like your friends would ask, like white friends would ask, why, why would you not be allowed to do that? Or like, you know, what's so bad about, for example, having a boyfriend or dating and you kind of have to like go through that process of questioning um, explaining like why things are the way they are in Indian culture um so it, I think that's like definitely something that's underplayed and we don't speak about enough actually how humiliating sometimes that can be and how exhausting it can be having to constantly explain things to to white peers um and yeah I guess like that's that's where I could really like identify with Jess's experience um although I do remember I remember like watching this as a young as a child and thinking um, how envious I kind of was of her still having like a, a big South Asian community. Like, Me too, I'm so envious of that. <laughs> it's like, it's such a vibrant, great community and like the kind of show scenes of South Hall, um, which I remember um, visiting when I was younger, seeing my, my, my relatives who live there. And um, I'm just like, this is amazing. Like there's so many brown people, like, you know, and like he's <laughs> on the street. Like we would have to go all the way to Pollock Shields to like get, get that here. So uh, yeah. Um, Thing, little things like that, like I remember being like really envious about, um, but um, I think as well, like considering she is um, in a, a really kind of vibrant, um, close-knit Punjabi community, you still see how much she struggles to merge her identities of being kind of a British and South Asian, a South Asian woman. Um, so it's quite interesting seeing how those dynamics play as well. I guess it's, a, it's, it's, it's different in East is East, isn't it? Because you see the family in East is East um, in a very different time also, it's like 20 odd years before, where like racism is like quite, it's very in your face, it seems. Whereas in Bendelet Beckham, it's kind of Jess's, uh, what's her name? Um, Jules's mum being like, oh, your Indian friends come and oh, you guys are all nice and polite and etc, etc, et like kind of assumptions. And I made a great curry the other day. <laughs> I remember that. Someone, I've, and I, I was thinking about all the time That's people have said me. that. Yeah, I had, I had that with a, I was, it was a taxi driver, random person ne never met before. And he said, talked about like a jar of curry sauce that he got one time and he made a great <laughs> curry with it. I'm like, mm. it's, it's not very interesting and also you're just assuming that I'm going to want to chat to you about curry. I, I, I don't, but yeah, mm. I know. I think there's, yeah, there's things we can like identify with, but in East is East, like they're in a majority white area, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the way that they identify themselves is a wee bit different, I think. Like, it, was, it was quite telling like on the Wikipedia page. I just saw and realised that all of the boys have got like, non-Asian nicknames. Mm -hmm. Yeah, including George himself. George mm. is not, it's not his real name, I think. Like he, he chose an English name mm -hmm. um, that he used for the name of his chip shop. It's called George's Chip Shop. 
yeah. He's like, oh, that's not his real name. So, like George's yeah. English chip shop, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What is George's real real name? Do we get that in the film? Uh, I think I saw it on Wikipedia as well. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, I think it comes up like once or twice, but like very quickly. It's very mm-hmm. easy to miss. Yeah, um, and the boys uh-huh. as well. They had um, they kind of um, had English nicknames like when they went to the nightclub. Yeah, kind of met the bouncer. And yeah, Tony. Tony. Yeah, and then he's, and he's Arthur. my friend Arthur, or my brother Arthur, <laughs> and I find that really funny because I was like, even though they're still brown, like they've not changed colour within that second, but then the bouncer, just because they have like English names, like immediately is like, oh, okay, that's fine, like you can go yeah. in. Um, I think that was really interesting to think about how, because of their light skin, they're actually a lot like their mother who's of Irish descent, they're proximity to whiteness allows them those privileges because when they're at that um, nightclub there are some other I think brown South Asian people who look a bit darker Mm, and look a bit more South Asian they get kicked out like no membership only but then um, the two brothers are lighter skinned and then their hair is slightly different Um, and then they put on an accent to sound more English they get in Um, so I thought that was really interesting how they they navigate that that's um, space by using their their light skin privilege. Mm. And like mm. colorism is is a big thing. Um, this you know this dif- differentiating or creating like a hierarchy based on on skin tone. Um, I think both in and out of community like, like South Asian communities. I know you know I remember going to family and being picked out because because uh, most of my family is. Tamil, they come from the south of India, so we're, you know, I've got a kind of stronger line of darker-skinned family, and um, my grandmother is Hindi, and her family, I think a lot of her family comes from the north of India, originally, kind of way back, and um, so there's some lighter skin, and so there's immediately a differentiation between different parts of my family based on, on skin tone. Um, they're also very proud every now and again when I call back at a video call and um, they can see that because the, the lack of sun in, in Scotland um, <laughs> that I've gotten fairer. So, you know, there's, so there's, there's interesting kind of power relationships in and out of these communities. And I think that's something that, that I was fascinated by, by both like Wendy Light Beckham and Isis Isis that we recognize like the, in, the intense tensions that East is East kind of represented, um, you know, that, that even within the Indian communities or families that I belong to, we, we, we ourselves started to see kind of being traditional and, you know, well, being traditionally Indian or in my case, like growing up in like a Hindu kind of household as being not progressive um, you know, so the fact that my parents, for instance, moved out of the Indian area, the Indian only areas and, you know, moved into integrated areas. So I was, I was one of, well, eventually my sister was, who's a little older than me and, uh, myself, we were the only ones in my family who went to integrated schools. Um, I was the first to go to an integrated school from like prime, from my primary years. So, it, you know, so it's sort of it was easy to construct kind of being traditional and create its binary opposite of being progressive. And my family was progressive for having moved out of those kind of Indian only areas. But that caused tension then between like myself, who's trying to figure out, like I guess like Jason Bendy Black Beckham, trying to figure out, well, who what's this new identity? What's it, what's it supposed to be? How are you supposed to be Indian? And integrated and speak English and do the, the prayer stuff and the temple stuff and the music and the movies and how do you do all of those things when, when there's not a, the, the, the community isn't actually there and when they are there it's very easy to kind of slip into the mindset that oh I'm going backwards I've not I've not moved out of it and that's a tricky thing. I think that's a difficult thing for people. I know I found it very difficult to kind of grapple with. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I think what you're saying, that grappling with who are you meant to be in like a space where, or a country where you've not got the, the luxury of being told that you've been here forever and therefore this is a way that you can be and then you'll be accepted for that. Um, I think both of these films, like looking back at them again, I didn't feel that either of them were kind of advocating for any particular way of being, really. Um, I think with East is East, we do kind of see that kind of backwards Pakistani thing, but at the same time, um, I think there's a good acknowledgement of like the context mm. of mm-hmm. where these people are growing up in. Like there was there was a line when um, Saj, Saj is the youngest one, isn't he? Yeah. Yep. Saj was in hospital after his circumcision, so he gets circumcised. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't mention that in the start because at mosque he's um, he's like spotted by some of the kids as not having been circumcised. But then the Moldy comes and like inspects and then takes his dad to go and see, and then they go to the hospital to get it cut. Um, and it's a bit like, oh my god, wow, traumatic. <laughs> yeah, I know for like a like old boy. It's not like a kind of baby or anything. Um, when he's on the bed, like, I forgot that his mum made a point of saying that he need to, he shouldn't have his shoes on the bed because mm-hmm. that's not the way she's raised her kids and that it's tougher for her kids to be seen as respectable because of the colour of their skin. So she's going to make sure that they do everything they can to be accepted and to be seen as, like, proper people and not backwards or rude or anything. And that there's an acknowledgement there that they're not going to be able to find that kind of comfort and mm. stuff. And I thought with Jess and Ben and Ben like Beckham, there's lots of other there's lots of ideas that's been like thrown over like how to be the ideal woman. Like mm. there's her her mum telling her that she needs to cook all the foods and yeah. stuff. Um there's those like Asian girly girls mm. <laughs> who are like very like made up and like wearing different clothes to Jess and think it's strange that she plays they would think it's strange that she plays football and stuff and then there's like the Jules kind like do whatever you want is fine um I think in the end she doesn't really end up like doing any of these because with Jewel like she doesn't say that they're going to be together and stuff because she knows that it's like it's another challenge that she needs to face and that just by being liberated, she won't do it. And just by going along with her parents, she won't find any kind of satisfaction either. Which I thought was quite refreshing and seeing that, like, that is what we all need to do all the time. We're always reinventing who we are according to, like, where we've ended up and what the needs are and stuff. And that, yeah, I think, like, for me, like, I've always tried to find maybe in, like, younger years of, like, the real me and stuff and, like, what is what it's going to be like and what does real me look like when you're growing up brown in Scotland and it's something that I've come to become comfortable with that you probably won't find it and that's okay because then you can be like I don't know creative and kind of have a a nice insight on the kind of context also. I think it's interesting yeah like that's really interesting hearing what you're you're saying there Hashim and I think with like the identities and how both characters and the different films try and navigate them you really see how how different actually they manage that um i think jess seems to actually have this pride of her heritage in, in some ways um like the scene when they're in the, the locker rooms with her teammates and they kind of are talking about like arranged marriage and, and that sort of thing and one of her teammates <laughs> oh like that sounds it sounds hard being an indian girl and then um, jess sort of goes um, well, it's just culture, and that's just the way it is. It's, it's better than sleeping around with guys that you're not going to marry. Um, so it was interesting to hear that perspective from from a woman to sort of just sort of actually advocate for arranged marriage. Like you don't see that often being portrayed um, in media. It's always seen as something that's enforced or something that um, like it's an oppressive immigrant parent thing to to sort of enforce. So it was interesting to see, to see that kind of side of her actually protecting that part of her culture. Yeah. Whereas um, I suppose with the characters in East is East, um, they they don't you don't really see them actually advocating for parts of their Pakistani heritage. It's usually like rejecting it um, and not taking an interest in it um, or whatever. Um, and there's that kind of scene where in the they're 
and mosque um, reciting different kind of parts of prayer and, and scripture and you can just see that kind of complete disengagement from it and yeah I think that was like quite interesting because we probably had that experience if you go grown up out with a religious background of like being forced to go to Punjabi school or, or whatever in, in classes and, and learn about stuff and I remember being young and kind of like well not I suppose like for me it, it was more because my grandfather he, he taught in the Gurdwara and then he taught Punjabi so it was very much like important for, for us to kind of carry that on um, after he passed away so like that's where my kind of connection to wanting to learn Punjabi came from but I still remember like being bored out of my mind in those classes and just like totally like I wanted to learn but when you're taught to read and write it's just not the same because you think well what am I going to what am I going to do with this whereas when you kind of learn how to speak it's kind of it can be useful in, in conversation with relatives or whatever so I suppose then um, there's that kind of difference between how they're, they're managing their identities, which I find quite interesting. Um, and then, like you said about kind of femininity, I think that's such a, a core part of Bender Like Beckham with like how, like it's not just about, it's not just relatable to South Asian women, it's relatable to women um, globally, I think, because it's very much about like, there is no one way to be a woman. Um, and I think that's like you see through the different characters um, how they're kind of navigating their their femininity and stuff as well. So um, and I, I really like the fact that the the kind of gender norms and expectations, it wasn't just like South Asian parents who kind of imposed them, but it was also white people um, and the uh, white characters in the film that kind of imposed that. Um, so yeah, I think that's where, that's why I think Bendelite Beckham has become such a global sensation and something that has been relatable for so many people. Mm. Uh, yeah, I totally agree about Bender like Beckham, but me being like with my criti I, I just criticize the things a bit too much sometimes. But um, I was just criticize, please. it again. Sorry, <laughs> I love the movie, but <laughs> I still feel that there are some aspects where it's it's kind of aspiring to whiteness. This idea that um, the own, it, it's working towards a post-racial multicultural society where the only way you are going to embrace um, your identity is kind of by integrating and embracing football, going to pubs and that sort of thing. So there's a scene um, at the beginning where Jess is lying down on her bed and she's looking at this huge poster of um, David Beckham and she's talking to him about her, her issues and why she's worried about um, not being able to play football. And it kind of felt like she was like worshiping this white man, and I was just like, um, <laughs> "Well, it, it's it's. I mean, I can totally understand um, that 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 need to have a passion, which is football, and on its own, that's great. But football is also really it's associated to um, white white culture. I don't know white British culture, and then the fact that she does kind of end up." Well, throughout the film, she's like, oh, well, I'll just have to find a nice Indian man. But then she falls for her white Irish coach. And for me, there were a few issues around consent because she's underage. She's still uh, like on her way towards university. She's waiting for her A-level results. And she almost kisses her coat <laughs> in Germany, I think. So th there are a few issues around that. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that in so many of these movies, it's often like, okay, well, the only way of being progressive is finding, being comfortable with yourself is by like aspiring to a white man or marrying a white man. Um, I do, yeah, at the end, she doesn't really decide to stay with him, but it's still, yeah, I still felt a bit, not uncomfortable, but just a bit disappointed. <laughs> Why does there always have to be a white man in the picture? <laughs> Something I was thinking about as well when I watched the TV series Never Have I Ever on Netflix. Yeah. 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 Where, where she kind of only fancies the white guys yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> like yeah. so I think that's interesting as well um how it always seems to be a white man that you know the brown female character ends up with and that's something that Mindy Kaling in the show has been criticized about but that's a lot of the yeah. conversation yeah but um and I think um the scene where they're at the, after the football match well during the football match um Jess is called a packy by the yeah. opposition um, and then she kind of like gets scolded by Joe, and which I, I felt quite uncomfortable about as well. That kind of way that he handled mm. that in front of her teammates and kind of told her off for it um, quite aggressively. 
and then later on she kind of stormed out and, and confronted him about it um, and said like you know I was called a packy I guess you wouldn't understand how that feels like what that feels like and Mm. all kind of attempted to relate to her experience by saying Jess I'm Irish of course I know what that feels like um yeah. and it's because that's actually come back on Twitter as a meme now <laughs> <laughs> how like why was this acceptable like what yeah. why was that okay for him to say that he could relate to her um yeah. and I suppose like, with the timing of the film like being in 2002 it was only a few years after the troubles in Northern Ireland yeah. ended, what I believe um so I suppose there was maybe that Grinder Jada was sort of thinking you know, she wanted to show the solidarity between brown people and Irish mm. people um, at that time. But for me, it was like massively problematic in the way that he kind of tried to relate to that racialized experience mm. that he had as a brown woman. Um, and it's just, it's not the same being an, being an Irish man. So um, I think that that was kind of her attempt of maybe to try and show that, that kind of common experience that they would have of discrimination. But I, yeah, I think that was handled quite poorly. And mm. I wish explored a little bit of that more yeah there's definitely a lot to unpack because I mean if you look yeah the the Irish experience in England historically there was you get those signs like no blacks no dogs no Irish so in a way they they weren't seen as whites back then but um as a white Irish man in 2002 he would have been much yeah closer to that mm -hmm. privileged experience when I was watching it again I was actually thinking that's a missed opportunity right there why does she leave the locker room and go complain to the white male coach when the captain of the women's team is a black woman <laughs> like that would have been a perfect opportunity for the two of them to have a conversation but the black woman like we hardly ever see her speak she's almost like this tokenistic um, per, uh, portrayal of the black powerful woman in a football team but actually if there was anyone who's going to relate to that experience of being called a racial slur it would have been the black woman mm -hmm. yeah oh you're absolutely right bloody hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe this is where it becomes quite complicated in like constructing these movies as you know um or any kind of uh like representation is how how do you tackle all of the all of those issues and i mean some of it because I mean, like, like personally, uh, the, the one of the moments that that stood out for me. Well, there were a couple of moments that stood out for me. One was that locker room scene, and it and and that was you know where they're talking about culture and who gets to do what with whom, and um, there was there was something that like re again like really resonated with maybe the context that uh, that I was viewing it uh, viewing the foreman. Um, was that kind of hierarchy of races, you know, so it's okay, it's, it's not good, but it's better to marry a Muslim boy than it is to marry um, a black boy um, and never, a, and, you know, but marrying a black man is so much worse than marrying a white man, you know, that, that yeah. weird kind of hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Can I just point out in that scene as well, I found it quite funny because, um, so yeah, Jess is talking about who she can and can't marry. So it has to be an Indian man, so it can't be a Muslim man, it can't be a black man. Then, yeah, I think it's Jules who says, oh, you'll just have to marry an Indian man. And then just by saying that, she ignores the like complex multiplicity of identities you have in India. Like you can be an Indian man and to be black or you're Muslim or like Hindu and a, or a Sikh. Um, and I thought those, yeah, that, that sort of, yeah, multiplicity of South Asian identities, uh, that's not really explored in that movie. Um, but it's seen a bit more in um, East and East with the whole war between India and East Pakistan. And you see George in the hospital. I don't even remember that scene. Um, George asked the doctor, um, who's also brown, whether the circumcision has happened and then he says are, are you Indian because he doesn't really trust the doctor and I thought that was quite interesting because um, in the context of when George came to Britain he came in the 1930s 1930 like 40s I think that was before partition so I found it difficult to understand how that sort of anti-Indianness or sort of Pakistan versus India um, how he'd associates to to that sentiment um yeah i don't know what you guys thought because I, yeah I, I, I think in terms of partition from what from what i understand is that like affected people in india 
and also had like an international resonance with like the Indian diaspora and stuff. Yeah. Like people mm-hmm. were advocating for Pakistan and like Liverpool or in like London, people were advocating for India and places where maybe Hindu majority people were perhaps. Right. And that like you can see the communities like breaking down mm. from that That's point true. so that people around the world are advocating for it, especially in like the UK, like the centre of power where you can like make your voice heard and stuff. So like, I, I feel like that is maybe how we might have gone to that. I think mm. the East is a bit more nuanced in that kind of Asian identity than Ben Beckham, I would agree. Um, one thing with the class aspect, like yeah. the Mr. Shah's family, who's the family that um, um, George is invited to come and show off their daughters to his two sons. And you can yeah. see there that the director and the writers are acknowledging that like George's family are living in poverty, yeah. which you don't... They don't have a toilet. Yeah, they don't have a toilet. They don't have a running bath. And, like, there's no running water. And this other family have got like three bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> they, they say that's their like selling point. They got three bathrooms, a big massive house, and they're somewhere where like they can I don't know like almost like break tradition and that girls would usually come to stay with the boys' family, but the boys can be taken out of this place and go live the high life in Bradford and stuff. Mm-hmm. Which was I I think it was it was important that they acknowledge that is that again, yeah, the Asian experience in the UK is not like just one experience. Mm-hmm. And especially there where like they have a white mum yep. and they are seeing things through a completely different lens to everyone else. I like the way in that same scene actually at the <laughs> well obviously the this big catastrophe, this sculpture of one of the sons um, somehow ends up on the on the mother's lap, like the the Muslim mom Bradford from mom. Bradford. Yeah. yeah, it's like a sculpture of a vagina. <laughs> so like, yeah, everyone just goes crazy, and the the sort of upper middle class family starts insulting the fa- um, George's family and the mother, um, saying that well they they're disrespectful. How dare they dishonor her? And Ella, the the white mom is actually defending her family, but em- emphasizing that she's proud of her um, her family, her working class family. She's proud of having, even if it's a small house, she's proud of having such a big family. Um, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a really powerful moment where you can see that um, racial identities, even though they're diverse, you can still find common ground through class. So class is something that can bridge those differences and create stronger solidarity um, and resistance facing um, elitist capitalist classist oppression. Um, So that's definitely a a strong message of resistance and anti-racism there. Yeah, like um, Saj is like best mates with Pongo, that boy from across the street whose grandfather is like really vicious, racist, Enoch Powell's supporter but they can kind of bridge that gap. And just yeah. even like Mina playing football with people in the street and, and stuff, it's something that, yeah, um, they can kind of fight back against. Even that scene is, is really interesting because I mean, when you're talking about like bridging those gaps, it's that, that, little, that little boy from across the road, you know, toward the end of the film when everything kind of blows up and George um, is walking down the street, it's that little boy, that little white boy who says salam alaikum to to George, and and it was you know it was that, that like kind of that that moment of of change and the gap and was bridged because like one of the issues I mean because all the tension that arises from these contexts is is around knowing and living in contexts of of dominance you know so. <laughs> You know, so something that that feels like it came out in this uh, just in this conversation. Um, it was mentioned that you know we we might all have the experience of you know having being forced to like go to um, like cultural schools or language schools or you know going and doing something that represented our South Asian culture because you live in a context where where another culture is dominant and and that tension is is almost the fight for access it's 
because you don't see the culture represented around you. So you, you're not, you know, you have to go kind of out of your way to watch those movies or um, to listen to the music, or if you aren't actively bringing it into the world, it's not there readily available. And so like someone like George, for instance, is, is fighting against his context to keep, keep where he comes from and what he identifies with. But again, there's that tension. So like, I remember being forced into my, my Hindu cultural league school on the weekends to learn music, and, you know, so, which was horrifying because being for a long time, I was, there were a few kids of color um, at my school, like in primary school, but I was probably the only South Asian, which meant that I was the only one going to school on the weekend and no one else could believe or understand why. Um, but again, it, and, I, and I hated it. it, it, it in fact, it, it created such an aversion for me for, for, for a long time. But, but now I can, I can kind of see it like, so like George, my, more my dad, saw that I wasn't getting it anywhere else. And the only other, maybe the only other form of culture that I was, I was getting was in, through film. And that was all kind of these Bollywood tropes. Um, you know, so, or at least, you know, that was just kind of one pop version of pop culture that we were getting, but there was nothing kind of substantial. Um, we, weren't, we weren't a particularly religious, uber religious kind of family. So we went to temple only on the big days when maybe we were expected to go. We, my, my parents were, were Anglophiles, so we grew up with a lot of like, British English culture more than anything else. Um, and so, you know, this, this kind of fight for access to culture is, is an important one because it's almost like, well, George, that little moment when that little boy says, Salam, it's the culture suddenly gets reflected back to you, even from like an unsuspecting person. Like that's, that's, that's almost, that was almost like magical. Um, well, for me, it was, it was that, just that moment. And, and, it, and, it, and I think it mattered that, that it, it needed, it was almost like a glimpse into this world where you, where you went, oh, you know, you can, you can be and perform that identity, even in this context where, where you might be a minority or, or whatever it is, but it's because the people around you have knowledge of who you are and are able to participate in some kind of way. Yeah, and I, I, I think like after that moment in the film happens, like that kind of resolution, it, it definitely feels it, it feels like you can just see it on like George's face as he comes out, like did he come out of the house after the failed meeting with the Bradford people, like completely down and out, and then that happens, and then he goes. I think does he go and sleep in the chip shop because he doesn't go back home. Mm-hmm. And then, like, um, his wife comes back and um, makes him his half cup of tea again. <laughs> and it feels yeah. like you're kind of back at the beginning of the film, almost. And mm-hmm. that even though all this stuff has happened, even though they're going through absolute turmoil and no one really knows who they are and stuff, like, they still kind of end up in one unit. Mm-hmm. I think Albeit like... Nazir isn't there. He, mm-hmm. that, that, I guess... Left unresolved. Yeah, that bit has kind of been thrown out there, but the rest of the family have, I don't know if they're managing to deal with it and, and stuff. Yeah. Like it, it, it felt somewhat optimistic at, at, at the end if you kind of forget that part almost. Hmm. Although, I don't know, I kind of felt not happy, but I felt like Nazir did get some form of liberation because, um, so he's disowned by his father, George, who claims he's dead, but... Um, his mother is still in touch with him and then eventually the two other brothers who are going to get forced into an arranged marriage decide to run away but they're not sure if they want to run away for real so they go see the brother and Nasir and it turns out that he is uh, in this um, very posh like hat shop and he's yeah he's dressed wearing like these very rather eccentric clothes um, and he identifies uh, as a queer gay man and we see his boyfriend who comes up with his little dog to kiss him um, and it felt like actually it, would he have been able to explore that identity of his if he was still living with his family 
Um, he does try to bring back his brothers to the family and try to speak to his father. And that's where his mother comes up to him and says, you need to go. This is like, this is going to make things worse. And you realize actually that identity of his um, as a queer man does make it unsafe for him to be in, in his father's house and in, around his father. So I don't know. I, it felt like there was some progression in his story. It's not like he was completely cut off, but there was a bridge maybe with the mother and the, the siblings who seemed to kind of accept his identity. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I just thought it was, it, it, it was a really like painful mo- moment of like seeing him um, mm-hmm. come out of the car and like attempt to like, I don't know, retake his place as like kind of oldest son and like sort his dad out and stuff and like protect his siblings, but realizing, yeah, that he can't do that. But yeah, he has found freedom in another place. But I guess the film just doesn't say like what that means for the rest of the family. It seems that like they're kind of, for me, a bit stuck and that nothing's really changed. I guess they've asserted themselves to their father successfully for the time being. And that like the longevity of the marriage between George and, and Ella can kind of persist through like so much stuff. Like, you can imagine, like, what they've gone through just from that little comment on the hostel bed where Ella and knows that she's gone through perhaps a more difficult marriage than if she had gotten married to a different person because she has to, like, compete with the entire world and the assumptions that they've made about her. And you can see that in the conversation with, like, her pal that comes around to visit um, and also the family was it the family in Bradford where the wife is also white British and stuff and she had girls, that's right yeah uh-huh and they're like kind of bonding over the fact that I don't know bonding over the fact that her daughter was sent away and I don't necessarily know if they're saying that that only white wives would have that feeling and not Asian ones also mm. I think as well like with the the unresolved trauma, I suppose, that you see from George's experience of being like a kind of immigrant parent. Um, yeah. And I think that's something that, that I think so many South Asians can relate to is like the, the kind of trauma that, that um, our parents or our grandparents kind of had to face of, of moving to this country. Um, and the way that they were parented is the way that they will in turn parent, parent their children. Um, like you wouldn't look the kind of like a stereotypical um, Indian or Pakistani father that's like, just you know you do is what you say um and a good Pakistani or Indian son will do what his father says um that kind of narrative is like it's quite it's quite common and I suppose like that that could just be because of the fact that that's the way that they were brought up and that's all they know um but you kind of see how his like kind of attempt to almost protect his sons and his daughter from from maybe the challenges that he had I mean you see that in the scene where um him and Tarek are kind of going head to head um and um, he kind of says, like, they're never, like, English people won't accept you. Um, and that's why you need to get married to a, a Pakistani woman. Um, and then, yeah, you kind of see, like, that kind of backlash from, from um, his son to say, like, well, you know, that's not what you did at all. Um, and then you kind of see that as well in Ben's, like, Beckham with Jess's father. And how he kind of talks about how he was part of a cricket club when he when he moved here um, and how they kind of sent him out. Like, he says, he describes it as, like, he sent me out like a dog, basically, um, and that kind of racism that he experienced as a, as a Sikh Punjabi man. So, like, I suppose there's that attempt to protect their children, um, which I can certainly relate to as well. Like, you know, like my mum and dad would could have always warn me of, of like how difficult certain things would be because of the colour of my skin and my gender. Um, so, I suppose there's like that real attempt for them to make life easier for their children um, and our generation. But it's it's definitely something that I think like we we still we still face those challenges that they once faced as well. Um, they might not be as maybe hard because of our more privileged in the sense of our financial status, for example, but what would have been better than our parents' um, generation. But I suppose there's that still those issues around identity that we, we still struggle with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, there's that yeah that trauma that the older generations kind of pass on to the younger generations by telling them those stories. So yeah, like Jess's father and but in like Beckham doesn't want her to join a football team because he's worried that she'll experience the same thing he experienced, even though he was good at uh, cricket, 
and because of his identity he was kicked out so it's a way of protecting her um and in east aziz i thought it was interesting that idea that well george has a second his second wife is a white woman um but he doesn't want his sons to have white women um white wives sorry um and i thought that was maybe because he realizes that um his the, the small Muslim community that he, he lives with um, when he goes to the mosque don't really accept him either mm. because he's married, he's chosen to marry um, a white woman. And I think it's, it would be the same thing, his community in Pakistan, his family behind, that he left behind don't accept him either because he has chosen a white woman. So um, he's experienced that sort of trauma of being rejected not only by sort of Muslim Pakistani communities, but also from, yeah, of being rejected and dispossessed by British, um, white British um, communities. So in the, he, he would have come to the UK in the 1930s when he would actually have been considered uh, a British uh, national, British citizen, because he was a Commonwealth um, citizen. And uh, throughout the film East is East, you've got that Enoch Powell speeches and uh, rhetoric around repatri repatriation. And it's all about uh, removing that British um, national identity from all the Commonwealth citizens and like kicking them back home because we don't need them anymore. And he, I, I saw that as well when he um, is speaking to Ella, his white wife, and he says, well, you, you, um, why aren't you more like a Muslim wife? And then she says, well, you only want me to be a Muslim wife when, um, until you need to face the home office. So even with her, she's got that sort of advantage over him that kind of makes him feel dispossessed and he loses all sense of control and respect. And I think that's why he it sort of builds up into some sort of some rage eventually that um, he lets out through domestic abuse. Um, and forcing his children to marry people they don't want to marry. Um, so absolutely, yeah, that, that helps us understand why you might have such harmful practices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, guys, um, I, th I think we're coming up towards the end of our episode. We have talked about so much stuff. Yeah, I, I, I guess um, East is East is more than just um, the dog um, jumping on that woman. At the, uh, at the end, or like um, George calling all of his kids bastard. Like that was the kind of like takeaway that I had from when I was like ten. I, mm -hmm. That was the film. But now, like after watching it again and talking about it with you guys, it's it's just really cool to see how these films come out quite close together, and set in completely different times and and, and places. But we can see like so many common themes, and it's still like really relevant now. Yeah. Um. So I, I guess to kind of wrap up, if there's any kind of last thoughts that each of you want to leave off with. And then that'll be us with our Asian Movies podcast. I guess for me, just kind of what I just said there, seeing these films in a new light is it's really good. And I think it's a kind of a really good insight into what the world was like for Asian people um, about 20 years ago. I think I see it more like that. And how nowadays you wouldn't get the same films being made because... Asian identities have been changed so much over the past 20 years that you might not get a film like East is East um, with that kind of really, at the same time, it plays on lots of stereotypes, but is also quite nuanced in the way that it shows how identities are like really fluid and that you don't really ever ha have a handle on them. And yeah, I, th I think it just like, it makes you see the films in a different light, makes you reevaluate and maybe be a bit less critical about them, seeing them through a more like nuanced lens, looking at different layers of power and stuff. Um, Sangeeta, what do you think? Well, I suppose like I said at the beginning um, about the about Bend Lake Beckham being like the kind of earliest representation I remember of seeing a British South Asian woman. Um, and I think what's what's sad is that I've I've never actually come across something that, that's so similar um, that can reflect the experiences of of South Asian women in a in a really like I suppose non stereotypical way. Um, so I suppose what what I would like to say is both around TV and film and media um, doing better for for South Asian women and men. 
Um, and I think like as much as it reflects, TV and film can reflect our realities and the, the real stories of, of what we have, I think it can also be aspirational. Um, and I think that if there were more stories showing, you know, experiences of, of um, Asian people doing things that you might not expect them to do or doing things that, um, you know, might seem unrealistic, it can still be really empowering for, for, for people to see. And um, I think a lot about like young people as well, um, young listeners who might be going through these kind of struggles um, growing up. Um, and I think like it's, it's so important for them to see themselves represented um, accurately. So like, yeah, I would like to see more TV shows and films where um, brown people aren't playing, you know, the character of a mum or a doctor or, you know, the corner shop owner <laughs> and actually, you know, accurately kind of portraying um, their stories. So yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think also one thing we didn't um, chat about that I made a note about that fun for me was like the soundtrack and Mm. Like, 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 like Beckham, which is like kind of golden age of um, British a Asian bhangra and stuff, mm. which kind of hit the mainstream in ways that it hasn't since and stuff. So like British Asians were making more of an impression then and were kind of more able to have agency over themselves, perhaps, yeah. than now, I think. And I guess that is another like chat about how that how that's happened. But yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, Melina, what about you? Um, I think similar ideas around representation. I mean, um, having watched these movies again, I felt uh, very critical, but at the same time, I realized that um, these movies were made at a time by people who were also just telling stories that related to their own lived experiences. So it was more of a realist uh, portrayal, especially in East is East. So it's, it's easy to just criticize and say, well, that's stereotypical and so why, why are you doing this to us? Um, but it is important to actually tell, tell your stories. So um, I think on the one hand, we've got to be realistic um, and try and reflect our realities. Um, but the challenge for us is also that with our representation comes responsibility because there aren't that many representations, we kind of become the spokesperson for whoever we represent um, and to challenge that, as Sangeeta said, there needs to be more representation. Um, so I think it's really important for us to encourage everyone, every person of color, to really consider how they can use their stories to create more representations, be it in film, um, through poetry, through um, any form. And actually those, um, that, that way of pro producing new representations creates more agency, but it also, it's also a great um, survival strategy. It's a great way of um, dealing with any trauma that you might be experiencing or that your parents and grandparents are passing on to you. Um, and then to the white people who hold a lot of <laughs> the positions of power in those, um, in film and media, I want to see um, more, well, more access for people of color. And I forgot to mention as well, let's not only focus on Hollywood and white, white film industries, um, looking at Bollywood, for example, there are other representations um, that are powerful, like Dungle was really good, but American about a bit like Bended Like Beckham. So we should try and um, support industries, um, be it in film, that aren't just um, driven by white people either. Yeah, and like coming from different parts of the world, showing, telling different stories, yeah. Exactly. Can hopefully um, come from a different perspective. Yep. Yeah, and not, and not aspire to whiteness, but, but perhaps not that these two films necessarily, that's the whole driving force, but mm. it is a kind of a, a thread, isn't it? Um, Naven, what about yourself? Yeah, so there's probably like a couple of things. I, I, I like the whole idea that's been brought up, or like the productive force of, of difference, you know, so it's, it's the need. So we, we need more representation but like a broader variety of representation um, as well, you know, because the range of stories um, also give us access to the range of experiences and ways of seeing and understanding that, that people that, that people have um, and use. So, and I think that's uh, I think that's really important because well, one of the things that that the movies picked up for me or like brought up for me was you know around that you know in so many ways things have changed but in many ways things have stayed the same 
Um, and one of those ways is, you know, we were talking about those like queer identities and those moments in each of the films. You know, there's a, there's always a, there's a character in Benelak Beckham, it was her best friend who kind of came out. Um, and then in Isis East, it was, it was the, older, uh, the older brother. Um, but in, in both of those, there's, there's also this like immense silence around the issue. And so, you know, when we're looking at kind of the, the politics of, of, of race and the representations of race and culture, it's also, I think, about looking at how, how they intersect with all the other the broader range of identities. Um, and I don't know for myself, those queer identities, um, it, it wasn't that there was an immense, well, personally speaking, obviously there's a range of experiences, but personally it was, wasn't that there was an immense amount of like violence, but there was this looming silence. Um, and when it did creep into conversation or into spaces, it, it kind of, it, it was there and it was gone very quickly. So, so I think, you know, having that, that, that idea of, a, of um, difference as a productive resource is, <laughs> is something that, that we need, that needs to drive the way we, we start engaging in all kinds of spaces. Um, because on one hand, it means that people gain agency to, to produce, well, to tell their stories, you know, in whatever format. But then it also means on the other side that people see value in the stories of others. Um, and I think that's, that's what these films did. They were like turning points and these stories matter. And there are, pro there are problems, but they matter. Thanks so much for that. Um, things that you, you brought up that we didn't have enough time to chat about. I would love to do an even longer one, do a part two, but there's so much other culture and stuff to chew over when it comes to anti-racism and thinking about how we do our work. Um, so like, wonderful chatting to you. Let us know, people that are listening, um, what you think. Um, you can tweet us at anti-racist you can uh, go on our Facebook, you can send us an email, you can become a member and write stuff and get in touch and maybe even be a part of recording a, a podcast and suggest a kind of piece of media that we can talk about next. It was wonderful. Thank you all so much again and we'll see you soon.